lawyer by training, writer and teacher by choice. Originally from New York, I am a proud wife and mother living in Los Angeles. Join me as we delve into the Holy Torah's teachings and apply them to our lives. I keep it short and sweet, but always deep. Welcome. Hi everyone, welcome back. So this week we will be observing Tisha B'Av, which is the greatest day of mourning on the Jewish calendar. Tisha B'Av is when we mourn the destruction of the first and second temple and all of the other tragedies that befell the Jewish people during this day in history. And we know that the second temple was destroyed because of baseless hatred amongst the Jews themselves. So I thought it was a really timely opportunity to speak about unity amongst the Jewish people, specifically bridging the gap between religious and secular Jews. And as somebody who grew up in the five towns and became religious, I feel uniquely poised to discuss this issue. Growing up in the five towns, I felt like there was this invisible wall between religious and secular Jews. And I've actually found this in other large Jewish communities throughout the country. And if you know the five towns, Central Avenue is kind of the main road in town. And there are stores mostly for religious Jews, but then there are stores that only secular Jews go to and stores where both go. And I found growing up that in the stores where I would go that there were religious Jews, you know, we would we would never speak just because we didn't know anyone in common. We really had nothing to do with one another. And just to give you a reference point, like I would see girls, you know, who were very modern Orthodox wearing like shorter skirts. And I would think that they were just as religious as like the base Yaakov girls wearing like super long skirts, you know, like I had no reference point to me, like any girl wearing a skirt was like religious, and it was one of them. And someone I didn't have anything to do with. And I feel like this wall is beginning to break down in the past couple of years with with more care of more Jewish outreach. But this is still unfortunately, largely the case. And I found that there's really a lot of misconception and judgmentalness on both sides of this wall, which really only fuels baseless hatred. So I want to take a few minutes to shed light on these misconceptions. I have definitely heard the sentiment from my secular friends and family that they felt judged by religious people and they felt like they're not good enough. They're not really considered Jewish and they're not viewed as part of the Jewish community. So to answer to answer these points, I want to make point number one, which is I definitely think it's the work on the part of the religious community to be kind to all Jews. And we really need to go out of our comfort zone as best we can to reach out to secular Jews, you know, invite them for Shabbos. I don't know how relevant that is now with COVID, maybe drop off challah, (laughs) something a little more COVID friendly, but um, reach out and make them feel welcome. My father grew up in Woodmere Park, okay, and in the, the 1950s and 60s. And then what happened was, he met my mom in, in New York City. Well, actually, they met in Fire Island, but they lived in New York City. They had me there. And then when I was born, they moved back out. They re, they renovated the house he grew up in, and we moved back out to that house in 1990. So we lived in that house in Woodmere Park for nine years, from 1990 to 1999. And unfortunately, not one religious Jew during that time invited my parents for a Shabbos meal, brought over a challah, or even just said hello on the street. Um, I mean, maybe they said hello, but you know, they didn't really become friends with anybody nearby that was religious. And, and I'm not even blaming religious people. It could be, you know, my parents maybe could have been more friendly as well. But the bottom line is, is that my parents unfortunately felt like unwanted neighbors. And they knew that if they stayed in Woodmere Park, I wouldn't have a lot of friends to play with. 
and the public school wouldn't be great since most families sent their children to yeshiva. So we moved to Hewlett where I could go to public school and I was in more of like a secular Jewish bubble there. And I kind of compare it to like in Los Angeles where I live. It's kind of like how Pico Robertson is like a big religious community and right nearby is Beverly Hills, which is a lot of secular Jews, kind of like that dynamic. Um, So many years later, after I became religious, my dad told me that when we lived in Woodmere Park, he was actually open and willing to go to shul on Friday nights, which is so crazy because imagine if even one religious Jew went out of his or her way to get to know my parents. Like, it could have changed our entire lives. Maybe my brother and I would have even gone to Jewish day school and they wouldn't have moved and put me in public school. So I want to share a positive story. When when I was at Neve in between college and law school in 2011, I met a girl named Rachel and she was from the five towns as well. And we exchanged numbers. And when I got home, I really hardly knew anyone religious in the community because of everything I had just spoken about. And to Rachel's credit, She did exactly what I'm talking about. And Rachel had grown up more religious than I did. She was a counselor in a a program at Neve. And she reached out to me. And I remember she texted me on Tisha B'Av. So it's coming up to our nine-year anniversary um, when this happens. But she texted me and invited me to her aunt's house for breakfast. So I was so desperate to meet people at this point that were religious and, and, you know, meet some Shomer Shabbos people that... I decided to go, and I remember feeling so intimidated driving to their to her aunt's house. But when I met this family, the Moskowitzes, I immediately fell in love with them. I felt very comfortable with them, and they invited me to come that Shabbos. And I remember that Shabbos, I actually had plans to go to the Hamptons. My friend was having her annual like birthday party, and I like somehow thought I was going to keep Shabbos at this raging house party in the Hamptons. (laughs) So like, it wasn't so clear how that was going to work. But it was obviously a test at that point, because I just started keeping Shabbos. And I I took some time to think and I was like, Jenna, Hashem's giving you an opportunity to keep Shabbos properly, you should probably take it, especially because you, you know, you know, this is a test, you're not really going to keep Shabbos properly in the Hamptons. So I accepted their invitation. And that was it. Like every Shabbos I was in New York, I would I would go to their house. And to the point that my they even embraced my parents and my parents have have come with me many times to their home for for Shabbos meals and really enjoyed themselves. So an important point here is like the Moskowitzes are not care professionals. You know they don't get paid to do this. They don't work for an organization. They simply opened their home up to me and allowed me to experience the beauty and the joy of Shabbos. And what's so awesome is that through the years I've known them, they've never, ever judged me for where I was holding in terms of my religious observance. They just encouraged me, you know, to learn and grow. And they always accepted me for who I was and my family and it made all the difference. So as religious Jews, especially ones who live in communities with other secular Jews, it's really an amazing opportunity we have to reach out to our fellow Jews and make them feel welcome. The second point I want to make for religious Jews is that we really hold ourselves out as trying to meet a higher moral standard. And so we really should try our best to set an example, especially where secular Jews are concerned, especially in the public. So a lot of secular Jews actually view religious Jews as representations of the Torah and Hashem. And I know this might sound a little extreme, but I myself did this. And I'm going to share an example of how I did this in a little bit. A quick example here is my mom always told me this story about our neighbor in Woodmere Park who fell on her bike and religious Jews passed by apparently without stopping to see if she was okay or if they could offer help. Thankfully, thankfully, I've only heard one such story as this. I'm sure there were many stories where people stopped and offered help. But still, any little Chilul Hashem, of which there are unfortunately plenty, like any any little 
act, which kind of desecrates Hashem's name, really fuels the fire even more of divisiveness between secular and religious Jews. So as religious Jews, we need to make sure we drive carefully. You know, a big thing is like double parking on the street on Central Avenue. <laughs> like, don't double park. Um, dress well. You know, we should look clean. We should smile. We should say hello. You know, these things actually really make a difference in terms of secular Jews' perception of religious Jews. And more than that, even their perception of Torah and Hashem, because they view us as representations of them. Now, at the same time, I want to speak to secular Jews and say that secular Jews need to understand that religious Jews are human too, and we're doing the best we can, and we all make mistakes. So kind of related to this, religious Jews are not representative of the Torah and Hashem, meaning Torah and Hashem are perfect and the Jews are not. You know, that famous saying, you can never judge Judaism based on the Jews. And I want to share a story illustrating this point. When I was in college, one of the rabbis that I had a, a connection with did something that really upset me to the point that I literally thought if he could do this, the Torah must not be true. That actually happened. I know it sounds a little bit insane, but but he was my representation of Torah at that point. I mean, I really hardly knew any other religious Jews. And I was like, if he can act this way, the Torah must not be true. And I walked away from the whole Judaism thing <laughs> for many months. And I and that was it, you know. But it was actually a miracle I came back um, to Judaism, and that's a whole story in and of itself, which I hope to tell another time. But it was a big misjudgment on my part. I shouldn't have been willing to throw the baby out with the bathwater that quickly. And the next point that I want to make is that religious Jews are rarely judging secular Jews. I actually usually find that it's secular Jews who are projecting this because of their own insecurity. So... It, there are maybe rare cases where religious Jews are judging secular Jews. And here I would just say that religious Jews need to make secular Jews feel welcome as they are and not judge them. Understanding that their upbringing is entirely different from theirs. And to secular Jews, I would just say if being around religious Jews makes you uncomfortable when no one is really objectively judging you, then why is that? What kind of feelings is that bringing out in you and why? And, and that's something that I would say is worth exploring within yourself. Next, I want to discuss two points, which are actually very deep points that could be classes in and of themselves, but we'll, we'll kind of go over them quickly for the sake of time. But two other very important ways to feel more unity with fellow Jews, especially those closest to us, religious, secular, doesn't matter, because it's often the most challenging to get along with the people closest to us. So number one is we can tap into another's suffering and feel empathy for them. So if we know somebody who's struggling to get married or have a child or is struggling with their, their making money, a livelihood, they're struggling with depression, this, this actually affects us. Meaning it's not like, oh, that's their problem and, you know, too bad for them. It's like, no, as the Jewish people, we're one soul. And if one person's unhappy or suffering, it actually affects all of us. So by tapping into that person's suffering and, and letting ourselves really feel their suffering, even though it's uncomfortable, you know, most people don't want to sit with their own suffering. So it's very hard to, to really feel another suffering. And that's why empathy is, I think, so rare. But if we can, we can make ourselves do this even for a moment, even just while we're praying, just to pray for this person or to take a moment just to think about what this person's going through. I think that's something really powerful that, that can make us feel more unified with, with those in our lives. And then the second point, which is really close to my heart and something that I've been thinking a lot about is that we really need to work on nullifying our egos for the sake of peace. This is a big one, especially when we're all like, you know, cramped in our houses together because of quarantine. But Imagine this scenario, which my teacher, Sario Havid Riggler, taught me that 
you're you and your husband are going to a wedding and you're very late and you're very upset because it's your friend and you want to be there for for the chuppah and you're very upset you're like so furious you you told him many times to be ready on time and he's not and you're late and etc so she says what's more important being on time to the event or peace in your marriage so it's like of course peace in your marriage is more important it's more important than anything but you think but he was wrong he should have made more of an effort to get ready on time and he knew how much this meant to me okay he was wrong but at the end of the day what's more important you being right or peace in your marriage because <laughs> you can either let it go or you can continue to fight about it and then you'll sacrifice the peace in your marriage and you'll still be late so so i think this is a great example and i think it applies to, to all areas because usually peace with our spouse, our parent, our child, our sibling, our friend is more important than whatever matter of contention we're fighting over. And we need to remember this, that peace is always more important. And when we can have peace with those closest to us and, and the community at large, the Jewish people at large, like this is what's going to bring the third temple. So on a personal note, right now we are in New York and we are staying in an Airbnb because we are quarantining until we can go to my parents' house. But it's funny how I'm like yearning to get to my parents' house. You know, we're not so comfortable in the Airbnb and I'm literally counting down the days until we can go into my parents' house. And I keep thinking how this is such a mushal, this is such an example for being in exile and yearning for the temple, because the temple is Hashem's house, you know, that's why they say, like, when we're in Jerusalem, we're, we're the closest we could get to the king's palace, and that's why everything in Jerusalem is so intense, you know, like, living in the king's palace is intense, but it's amazing, because you're so close to the king, and we have this, this, I have this yearning now to to be in my parents' house, but how much more do we have this yearning to be in a reality where Hashem can dwell on this earth in the temple, where we can see the glory of Hashem, where His hand is so clear and manifest that nobody even doubts the existence of God, and where we don't have doubt in our lives because what is the right thing to do is so clear and so natural to us and so comfortable to us that we don't have these inner struggles that we so often face day in and day out of wanting to do the right thing, but feeling like our desires are pushing back against us so, so heavily. So this is, this is the ideal state of being that we are yearning for, for the rebuilding of the third temple. And what's so crazy is it's like, it doesn't even seem so unattainable. All Hashem is asking is that we get along, that we love each other, that we unify as one people. You know, he's not asking us to like do anything that's so religious necessarily, except just get along with each other. So to sum up, religious Jews should make an effort to make secular Jews feel welcome in whatever way they can and strive to set an example in their behavior. And secular Jews should understand that religious Jews are also human and their mistakes are not representative of the Torah and Hashem. And number three, lastly, we can all work on connecting with our fellow Jews by feeling another's pain and nullifying our egos for the sake of peace. I hope that this Tisha B'Av will turn from a day of great mourning into a day of great rejoicing. Thank you so much for listening. And if you enjoyed, please share with your friends and family and write a review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you and take care.